You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. I have a question for you. How have you found that you're able to incorporate faith into your everyday work? Um, thankfully, everyone who works for me is a Christian and they largely chose to work at this company because they saw it as more of an outlet for their faith than where they were before. So that makes it pretty easy. And the reason that's possible is by being open about it. So if I had run a company for 20 years and been really closed off about it and then decided that I wanted to open up, uh, maybe that would have been more difficult. Mm -hmm. um, Not to say that we hire people explicitly because they're Christian and don't hire others, but it means that, hey, when I tell someone, hey, we uh, we do devotionals on you know together as a team, we pray together as a team, we have prayer requests, uh, like things like that. Well, okay, you know it's gonna make someone uncomfortable who doesn't want to do that, and it's gonna attract people who say, wow, thankful, thankfully, I've finally found somewhere that gives me an outlet because of all of that because. I'm open about it and my team is open about it. it. gives me the opportunity to be more direct in saying, hey, see how we did this? This is honoring to God. See how we're struggling here? This is how our faith can help pull us as a team out of that. Uh, I'm not perfect at it by any means, but it's good that we just straight up all are honest with each other and we all have shared faith. Yeah. Good. You know, and... Not every owner uh, is in that situation. Not every business leader is in that position. I'm very grateful and thankful, but our guest, Brian Gray, is here to talk to you if you don't feel like you're in that spot. Brian is the vice president of formation at the Denver Institute of Faith and Work, and he leads the 5280 Fellowship Program, which is a spiritual formation and professional development program for professionals. Prior to landing at the Institute of Faith and Work, he served in pastoral ministry for 13 years and at the Denver Seminary for four years. His vocation is focused on bringing faith-based ideas to life through intentional intentional relationships and conversation. We met Brian through friend of the show, Dr. David Daniels, who was on episode 97, Deciding with Biblical Principles. Brian came and talked with us about a lot of great points, what it looks like to integrate faith and work without being an HR liability, putting stewardship into action in your work. What would Jesus do if he was doing my job and my position at my company today and how to answer that question for yourself? And we talked about confession as a practice in business. That was an interesting one. So stick around, align your faith with your business. I'm Sanger Smith, as always, with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. Hey, Brian, how's it going? Good to be with you, gentlemen. Tell me tell me what's going on with the flowers in the background. Yeah, this is really important. I like to be really impressive by having fake, generic, um, like tulip art in the background <laughs> all the time. I feel like it really kind of communicates uh, industrial office vibe. 
Yeah, that's Either what that I was or hosting ask. An, We're hosting yeah. an event over in our normal space, so I had to duck out into a conference room. <laughs> I knew it was and, a conference room. I was like, yeah, what, so you get that right what there. mid-tier hotel are you at right now? <laughs> yeah, you, exactly. Yeah, it's coming from you live here in Denver, Colorado from the Residence Inn. Right. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Nailed it. But so, Brian, you, we had David Daniels on the on the show a while back. Uh, so you guys know each other. How do you know David? Yeah, David is a was a pastor at a church that I was attending when I was at grad school at the University of Texas, and got to know him there as the pastor. Eventually, as a mentor, and then went on staff after graduate school. Was running a laboratory for the university, but my passions were outside of that line of work and. I really enjoyed what I was doing volunteering with David's college group. So he brought me on staff for a couple of years after that. How do you go from working with college students to working in at an institute that worked that kind of focuses on faith in the workplace? A lot of the thing that I was realizing in, with college students, they're asking questions about their future. They're exploring issues of purpose. What is my job uh, and kind of larger values of my faith have to say to each other? And those are really appropriate questions for people developmentally right at the beginning of their career. But the thing is, they don't change. They just get more complex. The stakes get higher uh, the older we go and get farther into our work and into our career. Costs get higher. Uh, in the case of some of the folks that you're working with, they're employing people and they're creating meaningful lives for others. And so those questions don't change. Uh, they just kind of go on. So a lot of the work we get to do here at Denver Institute is to help resource uh, business leaders, people in a number of different vocations and professions to see how their work uh, aligns with God's vision for how the world could be. And that's actually through the, the work that they do. When people come to you with these questions, what are the type of questions that they're asking? Yeah, here's some problems that we find that we're solving for. People feel relationally isolated or lonely. It'll sound like this, Singer. I don't know any other fill-in-the-blank Christians in my job, company, or my industry. And they might fill in the blank, serious Christians, committed, uh, intelligent, uh, professional, Christians who are good at their job. So one of them is a sense of kind of isolation. Don't know other believers who are serious about their work and serious about what they're doing. Uh, people have questions about whether or not what they're doing, if it's purposeful, if it has any meaning or importance to God. People experience a lot of the uh, burnout uh, workaholism, a number of different things that come from the demands of career and workplace and how that those have carryover effects outside their work life, into the life of faith, into their family, uh, into their friendships. So those are some of those more experiential tensions that I think all of us wrestle with. So those are a few of the pretty common starting points. And probably the, the last one is just a larger sense of, am I doing the right thing or should I be doing something else for God and for the world. So I'd say those kind of four issues are pretty what common. Causes, what do you think causes people to f question that? Because it yeah. seems like a really harmful question. Yeah. I like the word harmful. I think that's a great description. For a lot, When I hear those questions, what happens for me saying is sympathy for them. I think where it comes from, I, let's, let's be generous. I think they're really well-intended. So don't you want anybody who makes a claim of Christian faith to say, I'm going to take my faith so seriously that it, that it pushes into every single corner of my life, my work and my career. So their, their starting point is one of trying to hopefully honor God and people, but I think that they don't have any really great answers. And if can I implicate myself and maybe some other pastors in the church? I think this is a place where we see a void in the church. 
that the way we do teaching and discipleship and help grow people to maturity oftentimes doesn't pay attention to that segment of their life, their work, which represents 50% of their non-sleeping hours, right? Let's just be generous. Let's say you sleep eight hours a night, you're working another, you know, 10 hours a day or so and spread out, you know, some other stuff. You're uh, half of your time when you're not sleeping is given to this one place. And we don't talk about it much in the life of the church. These, that was my experience as a pastor for 13 years. So call that my own pastoral malpractice. Why do you think people don't talk about it? Do you ever run into people who aren't sure what to do with their, with their wealth or with their profit? They have questions of like, it's great, but it's like, is that, they have some questions of whether or not it's spiritually questionable. I see that in people. I disagree with this mentality, but I think oftentimes when people are successful, they don't know how to handle success, ambition, wealth, power, position that come with certain successes. It's either not uh, as welcome in the church or they wonder, they have some suspicions about it. But I think it's also just imagine any other part of your life that never gets discussed with your friends or the people you're closest with that never gets talked about. It kind of lives over in a closet. It gets set, you know, separated over yeah. into this other sphere. I think when you don't talk about something and you don't give any attention to it, you're just left to come up with your own best guesses and narratives and ideas. So- I think that's a I think that's a big one. It's just the sheer absence of discussion about what faithful work looks like for people. So people are asking these questions. What are the other problems that they're facing other than I'm uncertain about what I do is important? I'm unsure about how to find I feel alone. Uh, are there other problems that they're faced with that you're helping yeah. them solve? Yeah, here's a I think this is a pretty big one. I think that uh all the time people are being shaped by the various practices and activities of the environments they're in, right? So they go to the workplace and let's say they're, they've got a sales number or a sales quota. And over time, hitting that is rewarded and missing that is obviously frowned upon. In some cases, there's shame associated with it. So in that example, it's pretty easy for people to start considering their value and their worth, maybe even their identity to be their number, a sales number that floats over them. Now, this is one example and it's in sales, but it points to this larger thing. I think workplaces are shaping us all the time. Our organizational culture, what we reward, what we celebrate begins to shape who we are. And so I think we've got to be really careful to ask the question, are those types of practices in some cases, they could be really good for business, but are they faithful for a person of God to be engaging? If I just treat everybody that reports to me as a cog who's producing a number or X number of widgets or fill in the blank, whatever our product is in our company. That makes sense. Every identity other than my belonging to Christ can be taken away from me. Yes. And, and it can be practiced, right? I can actually yeah. practice my way into counter identities. And that's where we got to be careful. Yeah, and in an environment where I don't know the other serious, committed, intelligent, yeah. good-looking, whatever they are, Christians, um, <laughs> we're not talking about that other identity that is transcendent and is fulfilling. So it's easy to fall into, well, at least while I'm here in this office, in this job, in my company, et cetera, my identity is that of a leader or business owner or entrepreneur yep. or engineer or teacher or whatever it is. And then... Anytime we claim an identity, our, as soon as we do that, our worth, our own self-worth will be measured by the virtues and values of that identity group. You got it. 
Imagine two environments, my church where we don't talk a lot about my professional life, and then my work where in some cases it's a violation of HR to talk about my faith, right? So you've got yeah. this divided environments people find themselves in. So I, I remember when I started in the workforce in the say, late 80s, there, there was, and it might have been that I started with a larger company mm-hmm. that essentially had faith absent in the workforce. And so you, we were sort of taught, hey, don't, you know, if you're talking with, with a client, if you're talking with a prospect, you're talking with somebody, don't talk about your faith, just stick to the business at hand. And it, it just sort of wasn't, wasn't discussed Yep. and even sort of frowned upon. And I, I remember there was a faith-based group trying to get a, a foothold in this in this company, uh, a place for people to kind of meet and faith-based advisors. And it was really just stomped out. There were a few people that pushed it through and they started making the case, uh, hey, you have these affinity groups for this group here. You have an affinity group for this, but you are actively telling us we can't have this affinity group for Christians, let's say. Yeah. And so they they started playing the game with the company. They said, "Hey, you know, there's there's business to be had here." You know, so they went they went at it from they weren't having any success from a moral standpoint, so they went to a business standpoint and said, "Hey, you you could probably make money if you let us sort of express our faith." And there are people who may want to connect to us and the the company finally said, "Oh, you yeah, know, well maybe you have a point." And so and so that's how it got that's how it got hold. And so I'm wondering from your point of view, and you know, because you work in this area all the time, are you seeing outward outward expressions of faith grow and expand in the workforce or diminish and be tapped down in the workforce? So where are you seeing it trending? Both. Yes and no. Sean, what you're describing is a pretty common experience. My guess is a lot of your listeners could nod their head to that. They felt that they've been in those environments. You've got a real explosion in the last five years of what are called ERG, employee resource groups that are explicitly faith-based. And they're happening, well, you've got a, you've got a group for fill-in-the-blank lifestyle or fill-in-the-blank hobby or fill-in-the-blank other interest or, you know, that commonly unites people. But there's not one for Christian faith. So we're actually seeing a number of larger companies that are starting employee resource groups, ERGs, that are particularly connected to Christian faith. And it, these create a place of relational belonging in a hybrid working environment. They create connection. They create ideally employee longevity. So when you appeal to the financial bottom line of these companies, hey, do you want happier uh, employees that bring the whole of themselves to the company? Then you might want to create these opportunities. So what you're describing is actually a trend, is actually an answer to your question that's happening right now in the last, particularly in the last, I'd say five to seven years, that's been expanding. How is that going, coming up against sort of a, another wave that seems to be rising that's countering that? Yeah. Uh, and that is sort of this move ag- against faith base at the same time we're seeing this rise. I, I just read an article, this was just the other day, and I think it was a city manager in Wisconsin, some city in Wisconsin, and she had put out a bulletin to city employees basically saying, hey... When you decorate your cubicle or your office or yada, yada, uh, don't use red and green uh, for Christmas because that is exclusionary and we want you to use, uh, you know, more seasonal colors. And uh, you might even just decorate your room with uh, with snow people, you know, not snowmen, but snow people. It's so, and it was just crazy that that they wanted to have somebody not express a faith mm-hmm. because it might offend somebody who didn't have that same faith. And so how do you reconcile the, what you're saying is, is sort of an increase in this, this ERG with 
a it, perhaps a wave that is trying to stop it. Yeah, I think one of the uh, I, I think the headlines are going to always catch the headlines, make their money through clicks. And so you're going to hear stories like that. And they're out there yeah. uh, and they're out there a lot. I, I'm actually not convinced they're the norm, Sean. And so I'm thinking for business owners, uh, what if you were to create it's not going to be a faith explicit environment. But what if it's a faith-friendly environment and it's going to be open to people of a number of different faith expressions? Because what we want you to do is bring the whole of yourself to the workplace. Now, your job is connected to a job description that has certain activities and we want you to be excellent in them. And it's going to move towards the bottom line of what this company is trying to do in our mission and profitability. Don't get confused. But while doing that, we also want you to bring the whole of yourself. And so there's a movement that would be places that would be considered faith friendly that allows the whole of who you are, uh, to be expressed. I, I think though, that maybe the issue is not, uh, whether or not people are Christians, it's whether or not it's what type of Christian they are. Are they winsome? Are they known for real workplace excellence for being on time for handling conflict with maturity for emotional intelligence and critical leadership decisions? I mean, these are, these are a very different type of person of faith, whose faith might motivate those activities and ought to. Uh, and I think that Christian is not getting the HR book slapped at them. But if you you know, are the type that is just uh, trying to connect every single, hey, I saw that your report got turned in, which reminds me of Jesus. Like, if you're going to be that kind of like turn, always trying to turn the conversation towards evangelism and conversionism, you're going to get the wrist slap for that. And I, as a really committed follower of Jesus, I'm okay if that happens. Like I want people to be known as winsome, engaging, loving followers of Jesus. You see the video of that gospel singer who just got nominated for a Grammy and she started singing on the plane. plane. And they were like, hey lady, stop it. She goes, no, they want me to. No, 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 they don't. They don't. I've got this image of a creepy guy hiding behind a water cooler. And I tell people in a leadership development program who are people of faith and committed to workplace excellence Nobody wants creepy guy hiding around the water cooler waiting to drop Jesus on unsuspecting passerbys in the break room. Like nobody wants to work with that person. But here's what, and you got to look at the stories of Jesus. Everybody wanted Jesus at the party. People who were of no faith, who were marginalized in that society, like they all wanted Jesus around. What's with that? That's like following that Jesus in a way that's winsome uh, would be. I think is a way forward for people in thinking about how to integrate my faith in my work. Do they want me to keep working here and with them? Then in a post increasingly post-Christian culture, I think that's, that's actually evangelistic. I think that that is a way to be known for love and to, to be known for workplace excellence. In other words, that's like a zero point before we even get to any other conversations about faith. Well, I, I think if you can connect your faith to something it, through the work. In other words, it, in, in the work that I do, it becomes easy. And the work that Sanger do, Why it does, it it's, it's, well, because when you look at putting wealth to, to purpose, mm-hmm. uh, and, and if that is the goal is to help people use that wealth to its greatest and highest purpose, I see that as, as stewardship and, and, and to look at that, to say, that's not, it's not my, certainly not my money. It's not even the, the client's money. But if it's God's money and we're trying to find the best purpose for that, that is that is easy to connect faith to, well, you think to the work easy? that I do. I, I think it's easy to draw the line from A to B. 
right? I, I'm I not saying that, the word. I think I'm not you saying just described a line. I think you just describe like you. <laughs> you're saying like, well, if I've already made all of these assumptions, I'm not sure that people make those assumptions mm. about the purpose of their work. Well, that's that's the point that I'm making. Is, is that for me, I can I can easily draw the line to stewardship. With, my, with how I, don't I think, think it's about easy. It. I don't think that was easy. when. How long have you been doing that? Well, I've been in this business thirty five no, years. You've been doing that. What you just said from the beginning. That's my point. When right. did you start? I don't know, but it, it wasn't. No, but it wasn't real. right out of the gate. Yeah. When did you come to that conclusion? Um, 15, 20 years ago, maybe. Well, I would say it's at least fifteen years of not easy before it became easy. Or okay. to put it another way, is that normal for wealth managers to think that way? Because Sean, I'm loving the perspective you're bringing, but is that normative for people in your industry to think well, that way? I, I think there are. I think there is a group of advisors who see themselves as faith based advisors. I think there's some you know who who say I'm a, I'm a Christian financial advisor, and there are some advisors who say I'm a financial advisor who happens to be a Christian, and then mm-hmm. I think there are the rest who who maybe don't think about it. And I think for those who do not have work related to faith, it becomes about something else, hitting a sales number, uh, you know, okay. building their business and making more money, you, whatever it is. Did you come to the conclusion and understanding that your job was to help people put their wealth to their highest and best use because you were thinking of it through the lens of honoring God? Or had you already come to that conclusion and then started saying, oh, how could my work honor God? Uh, I think probably, you know, I, I, it's, it's hard to, to describe it because I started from a faith-based lens. And so that's, that, that's the perspective started with, with how can I align my work? To right. Yeah. How can, how can I align it? And, and one of the ways that I aligned the work that I do is to say, I want to view it as stewardship of this, of this wealth. And I want to see that as primarily God's wealth. And so if I do that, what would be the purpose? Well, the purpose would be to to elevate it to its greatest and highest use. Well, how do I do that? Or I can help them make good decisions, decisions based on their own belief system, their own faith. And so I, I started saying, well, I have to get very clear with what does the person really believe at their core? What is this money for? But help them see and maybe inform that there are higher purposes to the wealth other than just you know, paying the gas bill, paying the rent. You know, there are other things you can do with it. It it has a purpose. It will extend beyond your lifetime. And so you better have a long-term plan for it that this money is doing something past when you're done with it. And and that's and my point though, is that for me, that became easy, right? And you, you give me a hard time about it, but for me, that became easy. But for people in other professions, I'm wondering how they create that clarity. Well, I'm definitely giving you a hard time because it doesn't, one, it doesn't sound like it was easy because it took 15 years, which I'm not criticizing you for because it it may have taken me longer. The only reason I was able to think that way so early is because from day one, you taught me to think that way, (laughs) you know? So it may have taken me 20 years, but Mm. I, I don't, I think a lot of the assumptions that you make, and we're using the example of the role of a wealth advisor, but you can use any other role in any other industry, is a lot of those things are accepted now by the industry as the obvious way to do it. The obvious best practice is to be a steward, but 
stewardship in and of itself is a Christian uh, virtue. Right? Mm-hmm. That that is of yeah. God, and we do that as a little bit of an aside. But we do that as a culture, particularly in the West, as we look at really good and true things, and we say, "No, we just need to do the good and true things. We don't need God." <laughs> and yeah. it's like it's God and our understanding and relationship. Yeah. Where do you think that God. idea came yeah, from? Yeah, where right? do you think the idea of all men are created equal came from in the first place? Before you decided to pro- appropriate it into this this culture, but that's another thing. Well, it's another thing, but you know what? The other way to describe that, because I agree with you, uh, Sanger, but the other way to describe that is maybe that's one of the best good gifts of our the Christian faith tradition that we've offered to society. I think about this in a lot of different ways, but if you look at the public reputation of Christians and Christianity, uh, it's not glowing, right? And so that's maybe one of the reasons why this keep your faith out of the company mentality is there. But I do think if you find opportunities, what I think you're describing is common ground. When you find yourself as a person of committed Christian faith, sharing common ground with people who don't share your faith convictions. So in this case, it would be a philosophy of stewardship and wealth management. That's something to actually be celebrated because you know that that is coming from uh, the wisdom of God. And It shouldn't surprise us when people who are made in the image and likeness of God, even when they're outside of Christian faith, pick up upon and even start living upon the wisdom of God at times. So I think that's actually something to be celebrated. I agree with that. It's not, I don't think it's our job uh, as Christians to evangelize at every turn, because if we're, what we're doing is living in alignment and professing the truth, even if the word of God, the name Jesus does not have to be present in that truth for it to still be true, right? In everything that you said about, um, other than the fact that it's God's money, which even if you just leave that one word out of it, it's all still true and it's mm-hmm. biblical. People will will adopt those beliefs. People will start to act in accordance well, with you, that truth. You, could, you don't have to say that it's God's money, but you can say that the money is eternal. Right, your your money's yeah, going to be here I mean. forever. Yeah, if you say right. it in a different way that removes right. the word God, then right. and now it, it cannot even be objectionable to the atheist, and the atheist is going to look at that and say, oh, "Okay, yeah, that makes sense," because they recognize. Well, well it's inherently true. The, as you said, my point is they recognize the the transcendent truth in it. They don't necessarily want to give the credit to God, but that's that's okay. I think what you're pointing to, what you're both describing, though, is what we would want somebody. You're describing wealth management. You're talking from your industry in this example, and it's a good example. But isn't that also true? We could we could pull back and say we would want you're describing a Christian having a Christian why and then doing it through a a Christian how. The the what of wealth management can be done Christianly or not. But I think we would want anyone who's running a business to ask the question, you know, there's the old question, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And Dallas Willard had this great idea. He said, Maybe the better question is, what would Jesus do if he was doing my job today? In yeah, this if he wasn't a carpenter, <laughs> if he wasn't a carpenter, so what would Jesus do? It might involve carpentry. What would Jesus do? Well, if he encountered someone who is sick, being all God and perfectly man, he might heal them. Or if they were hungry, feed them. But I, I don't have those same uh, abilities. So he asked that he reverses. Says, what would Jesus do if he was doing my job and my situation at my company today? And that yeah. can start to lead every one of us to our own having a Christian why behind my what I do. And well, think about a Christian how behind what I do. What's an example of how you've seen that question change someone's approach or thinking? There's, 
Well, can I give you a personal one from a really yeah, unlikely environment? I put myself through seminary waiting tables. And I was waiting tables, and I, and I don't know about the two of you, but I'm not one of those guys that has the regular sense of hearing the audible voice of God. This isn't my normal experience. I think God leads me at different times of life, but there is this one day in the restaurant where I felt like uh, I was kind of setting up, I was putting out silverware and they, and uh, on people on the different tables in the restaurant in other waiters sections. And I was kind of being sloppy about it. I just, uh, I left some lipstick on one of the glasses. No big deal. Who cares? But when I got over to my section and I set the same silver out of my section, it was all straight. It looked nice. I made everything look good. And there was a real selfishness. There was a self-interested. There was a lack of hospitality. I just wasn't caring for people well. And I heard real strongly, and all you do, do it all to the glory of God, to the glory of me. I had this sense of like, wait a minute, even setting tables and even waiting, even waiting tables can be done in a way that might worship God or serve my other fellow waiters and ultimately serve people in this restaurant. Super small example happened to me. And so this is a change now. This is a change in my perspective. So I started actually thinking about waiting tables as something that was very important to God, that was an opportunity to love the men and women I waited tables with who became my friends and to love the guests who came into our place needing a date and a conversation after a stressful week, wanting to have an evening of celebration and hospitality. I started all of these things sort of just changing my perspective on it. And it just comes from, well, what's a distinctly Christian why behind you? What behind why you'd wait tables? How does that inform the how? behind how I waited tables and it started to change things for me. And that's waiting tables. That's before we get to real estate. That's before we get to public school teaching, before we get to any other things. It could be applied to any of our situations in work. Yeah. I, and to tag back to Sean's point, maybe some roles require less creative thinking to sure. draw that line. Um, yeah. But it's always possible unless yes. what you're doing is directly sinful. Yeah. yeah, there's some jobs for which this is really easy. I mean, you're a nurse and like over and over again, you are voted the most trusted profession through Pew Research data that comes out every two years. Everybody loves and trusts nurses. Like there's certain professions for which that would be a little bit easier. But I, so, I do think that every single one of us can do this, have a, have a kingdom-based perspective on why we do and how we do our job. How do you help people get to the answer of their own why? Uh we discussed the first part, which is we eliminate that divide between the secular and sacred. Certain things that are important to God, other things that are less. Okay, that's a, that's a that's a minimum. We've got to do that. So my work counts. Second, we we try to help people realize that their work itself is important to God, not just the product of their work, which is to make money, to be generous, or to build relationships to talk about Jesus. Yes, be generous. Yes, when given the opportunity, share the gospel. But the work itself is important to God because he purposed people for work. We can read about this Genesis 1 and 2. So we eliminate that divide. We help people. Oh, you, so, so you're saying you're saying the work work, it, work itself yes. is, is part of what is God's plan for us, not specifically this work, you know, selling shoes. It's not just an instrument okay. to get to right. the to get to the other things that are really important to God, right? Okay, generosity important to God, absolutely. Uh, naming Jesus when people have spiritual questions important to God, absolutely. Those are not the only thing that is important to God about your work. He actually doesn't. He wants you to be really excellent at your craft. He wants you to 
be serving others. He wants you to build relationships, create work environments through management that creates the flourishing of other people, make excellent profits so you can raise the wages of other people who you're employing. There's a number of other things that can honor people and honor God. And so we're trying to get people towards getting away from that, that view of uh, my work is just the means to the really important spiritual end. The other thing though, is that you start practicing it. I mean, Sanger was on you, Sean, about the, yeah, it took you 15 years and it could have taken even longer. So what I think in another set of words, he was, you've practiced your way into that mentality. You might've told clients some different language and you realize it worked for you and they were landing with it and it resonated. You started thinking differently about your own generosity. However you do this, you've practiced that mentality. It's not just words that are kind of written on the wall up here as a slogan or a metaphor. And so we try to get people to practice spiritual disciplines at and for their workplace, pausing to recognize that God is with me, bringing, uh, a practicing confession in terms of the ways that I fall short of loving God and loving others, pushing back against some of the ways that my workplace is shaping and forming my sense of my identity outside of Christ. We, we, what are some spiritual practices in terms of listening, silence, solitude, simplicity, generosity? Uh, intentional loving acts towards people who don't know Jesus. These are all spiritual practices that when practiced over time, build us into the type of people that more deeply honor God and others. I mean, this is, it's no different than uh, if you think about any sport, you don't show up and you're not great. You practice your way into a career of being elite in that sport. It's the same type of thing. Tell me about confession as a practice in business. The one thing that I bring to every environment that I'm in is myself. So I'm not a perfect father. I'm not a perfect husband, not a perfect friend, not a perfect employer or employee. And so when I recognize that there's brokenness or sin in any one of those environments, the act of confession just starts with a realization. God cares about this too. This is There's no such thing as a spiritual life. All of this together, parenting, friendships, relationships, my work, my hobbies, it's all of my life before God. So it's recognizing all of those. But confession doesn't get me any more forgiveness than I already had. I've been entirely forgiven in Jesus already. Confession just puts me in relationship with that reality and says, God, it's thank you for forgiving me for my shortcomings. Help me to become a, a different type of leader, a different type of boss. So I think it's an act of humility. I think it's an act of courage and it's an act of uh, committing myself to spiritual growth within my professional life. Does that sound like way out there to Jesus-y? You can shoot straight. No, I'm, you're, you're in a work environment where you're the, the mission of the organization is yeah. to, is to honor God. I get paid um, to be good. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're in a how do you apply that same thing to that same concept to a company that, you know, is a, making widgets? Uh, I think this is why back to our previous conversation, having a clear Christian why and a clear Christian how behind my job is really important because that becomes now a North star for me to be thinking, what are my commitments I'm making to God in this work beyond just the job description, beyond just the widget making, what are the commitments I'm making to God? And if I'm falling short of those in some ways, I want that to, I want that to be, really clear between Jesus and I that like, I, 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 I want more from that. So if you haven't done that work of having a, an integration of my faith and my work, then confession in the workplace yeah. makes no sense. Why not just go out and do what's the most, uh, I win, you lose business practice that's out there, right? Sure. If, if yeah. the bottom line is just fiscal, 
Yeah. You know, if it's just a financial bottom line and it's all pure competition and I win, you lose is the end sum game. That's going to have a different set of practices. But if it's who and, I am, well, that is become, the the standard set of practices in countries and in cultures that don't have a Christian foundation or, you, the, or you know, and maybe not exclusively Christian, but at least have a, uh, a, a an atheistic foundation. I mean, the Chinese business culture is I win, you lose. I, I think it's because they don't have God. I think, though, yes, and Singer, I think I win, you lose is inside of me a little bit, too. So here I work for this company. It's a not this organization. It's a nonprofit, explicitly Christian mission. But what happens if we're financially tight towards the end of the year? And I know that there's another nonprofit in town that's doing really well. And do I feel jealous towards that? Like, dang, I think it exists. I win, you lose is not just a them. It's an inside of all of us that we have to pay attention to. Sure, and that's it's what confession a- looks at. Yeah, it's a human struggle. I mean, selfishness yes. is a sin, and as humans, we are inclined to sin. But God gives you the ability to understand that, and God gives you the ability to notice it as a sin and to avoid it. And in cultures and environments where they don't have that, they just well, embrace I, I it. I think it also it may be less selfishness and more short-sightedness. I, I, th- I think if you look at operating in a I-win-you-lose structure, then I, then I win now. But yes. I don't win long term. Correct. If if I play win win, then then I can win long term, and so that's ultimately what's best for me. But if I'm short sighted, I'm just going to take advantage of it right now, and then and then try and move on. And that makes particular sense if you're working with people. I'm assuming a lot of your listeners are thinking of their businesses generationally. So that just all the more emphasizes the need for that beyond the short term, even beyond the longer term in my life. But now we're starting to think of time horizons of generational and eternal. And those are really critical. Do you talk to people who struggle with expressing their faith in the workplace in an environment where everybody doesn't feel the same way or believe the same thing? Maybe they're, they're, you know, different faiths or absence of faiths or uh, a corporate culture that suppresses it. Uh, how are they, how are they finding footing? Uh, there's a couple camps. Sometimes people just push back and they say, Hey, I'm going to go over the top. And, uh, I don't think that that is a kind of a winsome version. That's not the type of Christian that most people want to be around. I think other, the other miss is the equal and opposite, which is that I'm just going to bury my faith and I'm going to put it over here and it's not going to have any bearing on my work and I'm not going to talk about it. Imagine a bowling alley. Those are the gutters. Okay. Don't throw a gutter ball, knock down some pins. There's a lot of faithful expressions in between, but Hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to be the over the top Christian person uh, that nobody wants to be around, or I'm just going to completely suppress it. And then when I finally leave the company or, uh, you know, people, I had no idea that guy was a Christian. That, that Those are the gutter balls. Knocking down some pins in the middle is about uh, being a more caring employee, being a more listening manager, uh, cons- just taking workplace excellence really seriously, attending to the bottom line of that organization or that company uh, with real excellence, being a person who uh, is walking into situations of conflict and making conflict clear, better, and more helpful towards the end of the business and not more explosive, more backbiting, and more competitive. These are knocking down some pins in between. And we do that over time in the name of Jesus. And when given the opportunity, we may even be able to name Jesus as the motivator behind why we are how we are. Yeah, I I think there's sometimes people are not expressing their faith outwardly because to to hide it gives them cover to act with less integrity sometimes. 
You bet. You know, it, and and so I, I think that you know that may be the reason uh, somebody doesn't want to step out and you know wear that badge of Christianity on their you know, on their sweatshirt on the front is they say oh, then, then I'm going to have to do the hard thing sometimes and maybe yeah, yep. they're going to be held to a higher standard. And they should. There's this story that's been a real motivator for me, but I think about it in organizations and businesses. We, I was a pastor. We had some leaders go out to the park in our neighborhood, and we had a real motivation, no strings attached, of we just want to be a church that serves in this neighborhood. So I said, let's just go ask, ask people in the park. If a church in your neighborhood wanted to serve the neighborhood with no ulterior motives, you know what might they do? So we sent our leaders out just to go ask one evening and came back with a number of answers. And we live in Colorado. Someone said, hey, you can wax our skis for free. And, you know, all these other things. We actually did. We waxed right. their skis. We shoveled the sidewalks of old people. But the one haunting idea that came back, somebody said, if a church really wanted to serve the neighborhood, they could leave the neighborhood. Okay. Unbeknownst to that person, he'd been probably burned and hurt by Christians. He was cynical. That became the marching orders of our church. We want the vision of the church became we want to be the church that nobody ever wants to leave the neighborhood. Now take that mentality, put that into the workplace. I want to be the Christian employee that nobody ever wants to leave the organization. I want to be the manager that nobody else wants to ever transfer out from. I want to be the boss that nobody wants to not work for. That is a that can be a North Star idea to really guide you in this idea. Just be that winsome, be that committed to Jesus and that committed to your business practice and excellence. When you look at organizations, are you starting with the top of that organization and working your way down? Or are you starting at the bottom and working your way up? Both and. In some cases, we work with leaders who have a lot of decision-making agency and they can shape the organizational culture. They can shape hiring practices. They can create employee care programs. Other times you're talking with people who are in management and they say, hey, I've got eight people to report to me. We say, great, there's your flock. How will you pastor them well? Uh, in other cases, you've got individual, either entry level or early stage career folks, and they might feel like they have less workplace agency. They don't get to make decisions. But there's different faithfulness, to use the word from earlier in the conversation, stewardship. We steward what we have in different seasons of life and in different positions in the company. So there's an entry place for every single person uh, and it looks different for them and what it means to integrate their faith into their work. Where can people connect with the work that you're doing? Denverinstitute.org is our website. I do a leadership development program that combines spiritual formation and professional development and coaching with some kingdom teaching. And that's called the 5280 Fellows. We do that here in Denver at 5280fellows.com. And basically, Denver Institute has a number of options. We run a faith and work podcast. We have some resources that are no cost that people could use in small group discussions. And we host uh, a couple of larger events, both locally in Colorado and then a few that we do online as well. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here, Brian. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Brian. Good to be with you. My takeaway from our discussion with Brian was really urging when we look at people connecting their faith to work and how that's really grabbing hold in the workplace. And it really enforced or reinforced rather the importance of starting with purpose, starting with your your why, not just at the corporate level. So why does this company exist? But what is my purpose personally in expressing my true beliefs outwardly? And how I how I act and how I conduct myself through the work that I do. My biggest takeaway is that the most effective form of evangelization that I can do in the workplace is to be good at my job. 
you know, be the person who's highly competent because being competent and doing good work is honoring to God. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.